Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I want to talk to you today about what I'm calling, I call the mysteries of God, whenever you read the Bible, and certainly when you're in the book of Revelation, you come across things that don't necessarily make sense. <laughs> things you go, what is that? And questions come up, and issues come up, and how we approach the Bible, how we think about the Bible is very, very important. And, and Revelation just really confronts us with this issue. And so I'm going to talk about how do we, what is our attitude to the Word of God when we come up against mysteries, um, some of which are revealed, some of which are not. How do, how do we handle that? Father God, we ask today for your Spirit to come upon us, that you would feed us with your precious Word. We would hear and we would obey you. And I ask for grace so that you can speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people refuse to believe what they can't understand. Let me say that again. Some people refuse to believe what they can't understand. They don't want God or anyone else to just tell them what to believe. They first want answers to questions about how and why. To a point, such intellectual curiosity is good. It can drive us deeper into God's Word and find their answers we would not have known otherwise. But sooner or later, we come to the limit of what we can know. Some things are too big for us to understand. Some He has chosen not to tell us. And there are certain things we as individuals aren't mature enough to understand yet. There are even things we may have to wait until we get to heaven before we understand them. And I suspect there are things he won't tell us even there. The Bible uses the word mysteries for truths that were once or may still be hidden. In modern English, the word is usually associated with stories in which some important fact isn't discovered until the end. The reader experiences a growing tension as the story progresses. Who committed the murder or where is the treasure hidden? But in the Bible... The word means something else. It refers to spiritual truths no human can discover by themselves, no matter how hard they try. Truths that can only be known after God reveals them. He's the one who decides how and when and if an explanation is given. And then we are left to decide how we will respond to these mysteries. Will we believe what he reveals? And will we trust him when he's silent? Let me show you a sample of this. And let's turn to chapter 10 again, book of Revelation. I'm not going to teach it in detail. And I just want to highlight some things and point out some mysteries. One of which is hidden and one of which is revealed. Chapter 10, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, John says, clothed with a cloud, 
The rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. There is a mystery that's hidden. We are not to know that. Now, given the human nature, you know people have written books about what the seven thunders said. Um, But no one knows. Tells you the value of the books. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, then the mystery, the what? There it is. The mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And then I took you and showed you a bit of what that mystery is. And I may, just, I may just remind you again. This is a particular mystery that he's referring to. Let's define mysteries. The mysteries of God are hidden truths which only God can reveal. Why don't you say that? Hidden truths which only God can reveal. He's not going to reveal the seven thunders, at least not at this point in time. But the mystery of God which is finished, is, has been revealed in verse 7. I took you last time to Romans 16. This time I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 3. I'll just show you what mystery is being referred to there. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me. He's referring now to his apostleship that he is called as the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you recall that? Peter in particular and others of the apostles went particularly to Jews, but Paul was especially called to go to the Gentiles. All of them would do both. But Paul's assignment was particularly the Gentiles. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. What mystery is this? He'll tell us in a minute. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. There was long seasons, thousands of years, in which this mystery was not revealed. And then there came a moment when God says, now I'm going to reveal this mystery. And what is the mystery? Verse 6 tells us. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There are references in the Old Testament. If you, if you look for them, there they are. 
But it's the kind of thing, there were also references to the crucifixion of Christ. And now that you look back from the, from the revelation and you've had the mystery revealed, you look back, there it is loud and clear. But when you were going through it without that revelation, you didn't know what on earth you were reading. What is this? Why are we seeing this? Paul says there's a mystery that has been revealed now through me and through the, the other apostles. And that is this, that the Gentiles are included in the great salvation of God through his Messiah. That the Messiah came not only for Israel, but that he opened a door for the Gentiles to come flooding in. And we have, by the billions. We who have, didn't, were not part of the commonwealth of Israel, we who did not have the promises of Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob, we who did not have these things, we had no claim on God at all, have been now, the door has been thrown open to us, and that by faith in Christ alone, repenting, and believing in his cross, we have been able to come in and be grafted into that olive tree of Israel and the, so that the promises, all of them, are ours. It was not ever really understood. And now Paul says that great mystery has been revealed. John is telling us that at before, as the seventh angel sounds, that mystery of the gathering into the Gentiles is coming to an end. The times of the Gentiles will come to an end. But yet God still had a, a, uh, an appointment, if you recall, to finish with Israel. That was what we talked about at length. All right, now, you can close your Bible, really, because I, I, I'm, I'm not going to take you to texts. I want to talk about how we understand these kinds of mysteries, how we relate to them, because it's, it's very important. We see many of them in the, New Test in, in the book of Revelation, we find mysteries all through the Bible. How do we deal with them? Number one, it is important to study the Bible and to let it teach us as much as we can know. Now, I'll use an insulting term here. Some lazy minds are satisfied with shallow answers. They give cliches or humorous threats when questioned. They'll say things like this, and I didn't make this up, by the way. God made a special place in hell for people who ask questions like that. I've heard it said to me. There are mysteries in the Bible, but there are also people who, because they are simply lazy, and I, I say this to pastors a lot, simply don't want to do their homework, simply don't delve into the Word of God with any intensity, label things mysteries which aren't call things paradoxes, which aren't. They simply haven't done their homework. There has to be in us a, a mind that is hungry and a mind that is industrious. Learning the word of God takes work. It is not sufficient to read a little here, read a little there, have a few verses that you know. You don't know the word of God. And I'll tell you something, your ministry and your life in the Lord, your maturity will not go forward without being founded in the word of God. You must... Learn the Word of God. You must learn the Word of God. And there should be a hunger in us. I, I, the way we run this church is out of keeping right now with the modern American church in many ways, and I know that. One, you just worshiped for, I don't know, probably an hour. I didn't time it. But we, nobody does that. It's supposed to be three songs. 17 minutes, not 18 is what I'm told. We passed 18 minutes before we were hardly rolling. And yet, in my opinion, 
there wasn't, there, I, all the, the entire room, including myself, needed the whole time we gave to it to break through into the spirit. We come tired, we come assaulted, we come weary, and three songs, a video clip, and a 20-minute and a sermonette is not enough to build us if we're really going to be disciples. My calling is not to be the great evangelist to the whole uh, community. I am not a seeker church. I'm a disciple. If, you know, you have seeker sensitive. This is a disciple sensitive. My assignment, I know what it is, is to produce disciples for Jesus Christ. And the numbers govern themselves. It's to feed, to provide the bread, which is the teaching of the word, and the wine, which is the anointing of the spirit. Those two things are the things that I particularly and above all things focus on. That the anointing of the Spirit is genuinely present in our worship and we worship through to that healing and transformation and that the Word of God is taught in such a fashion. Not simply that you're entertained. I don't try to entertain. I press the boundaries as far as I can. But to make you hungry for this book. I try to... I put myself on a course which is to teach through this Bible verse by verse. That forces me to learn all kinds of things I don't know. I have no arguments with through the Bible in a year programs. They're fine a few times through. But what you do after a while is you, is you kind of keep reading stuff you don't know what on earth it means. And so you, you, you hit little points and then you read on and then you hit another little point you understand and you, there has, there's no depth. So I write a daily Bible study verse by verse so that you can begin to understand the depth of the word you're reading. Now, ultimately, I'm not the, your source. These sermons aren't your source. I'm trying to see that you get an appetite for the word of God. Did you hear that? I want you to see that after a while, you get, you get used to the fact that, wow, this is a deep book, and it applies to my life, and it's practical, and it's wonderful, and, and, and there's a great consistency through this book, and you'll begin to study it for yourself. You're called as disciples. This isn't an entertainment event. This isn't religious entertainment. This is, a, this is the gathering of the family, and it's a feeding. Feeding and instilling of discipleship. So the first thing that I trust that God will put in all of us and, I, and I, must, I long for for myself is a hunger for the word of God, an insatiable hunger that loves to be in the word and read it and discover. One, one friend of mine says, mining the word uh, as though it was a vein of gold. You mine the word for the riches that are there. Secondly, it is important to honestly admit when the Bible goes silent. Some people have proud minds. We said that there's a lazy mind that simply calls everything mysteries because it doesn't bother to do any work. But there's also a proud mind that when it comes up against things where the Bible really does go silent or it is a mystery that God has not revealed, they refuse to believe what they can't understand. This is the foundation, really, of heresies. It's where people begin to fill in the blanks that God hasn't filled in. People with a proud mind, they come up against things they don't understand that usually respond to one of two ways. Either they become scornful and they ridicule the thing and begin to uh, doubt the Lord and, and make fun of it, or they invent theologies that make sense to them. And that's the dangerous part. We, in, we begin to invent things. 
the classic area. I'm, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things. I'm going to play with your head later on. But uh, I want, here's, an, here's one. The Trinity. I mean, come on. Let's, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three. But God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Three, one. How do you get that together? How did God beget a son? Is there a mother? Is, um, is, is Jesus, I mean, is he, is he divine like the Father is? You, you get into this kind of thing and it gets, it gets confusing. It's a mystery, isn't it? And you think, this can't be. How, how does this work? I mean, is there one God or is there three? What's the deal here? And so people decide to solve it, dadgummit. And make sense of this nonsense. Because there's a tension there, isn't there? Now, you tell me. As, as you look through the Bible, did God the Father beget a son? Does it say that? Yes. Does. Begetting means you beget your own kind, doesn't it? You mean a, so we beget babies. We be, so God, if he begat a, begat a son, he begat divinity. All right, we've got a father and a son, but I thought God was one here. And... Then we're told about the Holy Spirit being sent to us, and it's, he's spoken of as a person, isn't he? Yes. How does all this work together now? Let's see. And people begin to say, well, here's one solution. There's just one God, but he wears three hats. Now I'm the Father. Now I'm the Son. Now I'm the Holy Spirit. And you just, he just switches roles. You kind of, same guy, you know, switching roles. That is a solution, isn't it, to the, to the mystery. Some people can take it over here. And usually, I haven't heard many people teach a thing that is um, three people like, I mean, people accuse the Trinitarian doctrine of being polytheistic, but I've never really ever met anyone who was. I've never seen it ever. It's just a theory. It's a straw man. But I have seen something over on this side that is so, so philosophically mushy that it's bizarre. And, and that, I think Augustine brought this to us. And it is this picture of the Trinity being kind of this strange, almost amoeba-like thing that's, well, there's three, but there's one, that there's three, but there's, you know, and you have this, and you use illustrations like steam and water and ice, or, or, uh, or you know, it's, it's, the, the, it's three, but it's one, but it's all kind of, it's a monster, it's what it is. <laughs> it is. It's bizarre. Listen, you're a person, aren't you? Yes. You know why? Because God made you in his image. Yes. You're, not, you're not ice. You're not an egg yep. with the yolk and the white and the shell. <laughs> you don't morph through different zones. You're a person. And the Bible says that there are three persons. And yet it also tells us that they relate to one another in such harmony, such common purpose, such love, such mutual submission even, that our experience of God is entirely as one, isn't it? Yes. You, don't, you don't go, hey, up there, all of you. 
You, don't, you have no sense whatsoever of any difference at all. You experience God as one. You see, the problem, I think, is that if you put three of us in a room, we've got four opinions. <laughs> and we've got at least three agendas. We've got, a, we got com- feelings of competition and, and everything else. But in, with, with God, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in which there is a complete harmony and love. Not a mindless one, a genuine one. In which, so that the purposes of God and the ways of God and the working of God is completely harmonious. There is no distinction whatsoever. When it says God is one, it uses a Hebrew word, echud, and it means one, one of a unity. And yet, we experience our God as one. We don't have three up there with different agendas. We have an entirely single agenda. The Trinity, it's a mystery. But when you try to solve it and say, one guy, three hats, because that makes sense to you. Or over here, some strange ball of mush that morphs in different directions and is three, and yet it's one, and yet it's three, and you're like, well, get out of here. You come up with monstrosities and a violation of the Word of God. What do we know? Is there a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Is, God, is God one? There you go. And that's, th- that's orthodoxy. Right there. And when you solve it too much, you're bizarre. There takes a humility. There must be a humility that comes and says, this is what he's shown us. I will believe it. This is what he has not shown us. I will trust him. And you leave it alone. Say this with me. Integrity acknowledges what it does say. Humility acknowledges what it does not say. Amen. Number three. When there are troubling truths, it's important to trust the character of God. If you've read the Bible to any extent at all, you've come across things that made you mad. What's that doing in my Bible? What on earth is that about? I hit one of those the other day. I I was reading, um, I'm reading to my mother. uh, She's in a care center. And I I read the Bible to her in the evenings. And and, um, I was reading through 1 Samuel and... There David goes out and he's, 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 he's hiding out with the Philistines and he, he goes out and he slaughters a whole village or town or, or how many of them of the Amalekites. And it says every man, every woman, and I can't remember it said every child. <laughs> it's like, oh, gross me out. You know, like, get out of here. What do you mean? He went, you know, what are you doing butchering the women and children and everything else? And I, it didn't say God told him to do it or anything else, but but... I'm stuck with this. What do you do when you come across things that are icky? That aren't supposed to be in there? How do you handle that kind of thing? Because if you've read it at all, you've come across them. And you, and, and you, and you, and you struggle. Here's what I do. I remember 
the character of God. I remember who it is who, that, that, that's, in, that's in charge. The Bible tells me that when I have seen Jesus Christ, I have seen the heart of the Father. Jesus says it. John couldn't be clearer. Than, it's John 1.18. He says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, monogenes theos, couldn't be clearer. The only begotten God, meaning Christ, he hath revealed him. He hath explained him, is the way some translate it. When we've seen Jesus, Philip, why do you say, show us the Father? When you have, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. All right. Of all the people in history, I trust Jesus Christ. You know, we all have to decide who we're going to trust. And you, don't, you take all of life by faith. I mean, there's nothing you can prove, really. You can't prove the person sitting next to you. How do you know this isn't all a dream? You can't prove it. You can't prove anything. Fundamentally, we have to approach all of life by faith. And you have to decide who do you believe. I have made a choice. And it's based on my experiences. It's based on... But it, I ha, you have to step into a boat. And of all the people in history, to me there is none more lovely, more courageous, more honest, more valid when he speaks than Jesus Christ. I believe him. Now you say, well, what if he's wrong? Well, then I'm going down in the boat with him. You say, well, so you pick your boat. What boat are you going to get in? I'm not going to get in any boat. I'm getting in my own boat. Fine, you go down in your own dinghy. <laughs> but you will get in a boat. You will make a choice. Not making a choice is a choice. Yes. Everybody chooses how they're going to handle life. You have no option. And I have chosen to trust Jesus Christ. So there's stuff I don't understand. I don't know why it's done that way. But I know this. No one loved the Amalekites more than God. No one's fairer or kinder than God. So what was going on? I don't know. I just put it in a file and say, I'd love to know later. If, I, if you don't want to tell me, I'm okay with that too. I trust you. And I've also decided that this is God's word. I don't know why it's never been particularly hard for me. I think it's because I met God in a very powerful way. He, shook, he rocked my world. He shook me to my roots. And I knew intuitively that the God I had met was the God who wrote this book. I had seen miracles from my very beginning. I came into the Lord in a situation in which he, he powerfully touched me at such a degree that when I read the miracles here, it was not hard for me to accept. I never did have trouble with that. And I'm not gullible. I'm, I'm probably as cynical as anybody in the room uh, by nature. And yet, I had met the living God. So if he said he did this, like, cool. 
I've spent a life studying the book. People tell me it's full of contradictions. I haven't found them yet. I'm telling you the truth. I have not found them yet. I found a bunch of people who don't know up, who, who look at a couple of things and have no clue about Hebrew history or anything else, saying dumb things. But when researched and wouldn't look that closely and honestly, I find, whoops, it's actually very beautiful and remarkable. Over and over and over again. I've decided to live according to this book. And the longer I have and the more I have taught others to do it and have seen myself and others live according to the precepts of this book, here's what I find. It works. It really works. People's lives change when they live according to this book. I have the advantage of being a pastor. One of the advantages that we have is we really are around people where they live. When the hard moments, the bad moments, we're there when they die. We're there when we, they almost die and then didn't. And come back and tell you what they saw. And I've had the occasion over the years more and more to see that the spiritual world this Bible talks about, the things that this Bible teaches us are true. I'm quite certain of it. I really have no doubt. I have a friend, he's a pastor, and he's, he's, he's in the process apparently of dying right now. He gives no evidence whatsoever of fear. Not a trace of it. He's just uh, preparing himself and going to step over, and he knows it. I've decided to put my hand in Jesus' hand. I've decided I'm not going to challenge this thing. I'm not going to criticize this thing. I'm not going to pick at this thing. I'm going to try to live the book. That's my, my choice, isn't it? That's the, where I've decided to live and walk. You have to decide some things for yourself. And there has to come to an, an end to the distrust and to the pride and to the holding back and the reserve. There has to be a moment when you stop that nonsense and get out with your paddle and start paddling. Start living the life and not criticizing the process. Do you understand? Let me sh- mess with your head just a little bit. This is kind of fun. I enjoy this part a lot. Here, here's some mysteries. I mean, let's, let's, let's really sort of blow the circuits here for a second. Here are some themes that we have to, have to stop speculating and simply believe what we read. The, I, I already went through tr- the Trinity. How about hell? I mean, come on. Is it fire or is it darkness or is it worms or, or, or is it a bottomless pit? Uh, what is it? I mean, is it all of the above? All of the above. <laughs> And, and, and people right now are, are struggling with the concept of hell. And, and people, oh, I can't believe in a God who would. Yeah, well, good for you. You're God. You tell us all about it. Uh, does the Bible say there's a hell? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, is it a good place? Do you want to go there? No, that was very, that's wise. Jesus says, he says, you would rather cut your hand off or pluck your eye out than get caught with, by holding on to something that would take you there. He said, do everything in your power not to go there. That's really all I need to know, isn't it? That's, that's been revealed. What exactly it is and how it all constitutes hasn't been fully revealed. It's not my business. Don't know that I even want to know. But I can leave it there. I can know what the revelation says, honestly admit it, and I can humbly acknowledge what it doesn't say or I'm not clear about and leave it alone. 
Now, I'm going to talk some more about hell when we get there because there's no getting around it in the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you what I know, and hopefully I'll quit before God uh, does. I mean, <laughs> that I won't keep going beyond him. But I'll tell you my best shot at it. But really, that's the truth I've given you now. Creation. Was it in six days or was it millions of years? You know, or was it... Uh, how did he create light before he created the sun? Was he, what's he thinking? Was Jesus, how could Jesus be fully human and fully divine at the same time? Well, I've told you, so you know. What about those who've never heard the gospel? It isn't fair. It is not fair. If they've never heard the gospel, how can he judge them? If, why are some people healed and some not? Well, I've asked that question. I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes you've got enough faith in the room to light the light bulbs. And the person dies. And other times you pray for somebody almost in weariness and sort of like, be healed. They get up and walk. And you're going, what are you doing? How did, how did that happen? You been there? It's not logical, is it? Entirely at all. You cannot make a decision. I don't know. Why does God let evil people do bad things? I mean, why did he allow the Holocaust? Why didn't he just kill Adolf Hitler in the womb or somehow decide that someone else was going to get conceived at that moment? What's he thinking? Is he missing? Uh, was he not at the steering wheel when, he, when things were happening? Why does he let bad people do bad things? Who are those 24 elders up there anyway? I've already told you, named a few of them, but you have an advantage that no one in church history has had. <laughs> the, the four living beings, who were they? I mean, they got four faces, one of them an, an ox. This is one ugly dude. Got an ox face and a cherub face and an eagle face and a lion face. I mean, what do they do? Just kind of go one direction at a time, you know, depending on which face they are. Who are they? Why did, Jesus, why did God make angels anyway? Do they have wings? I mean, isn't the Holy Spirit enough? Why did he need them? Do they really fight with swords? I'm not going to answer those things. <laughs> there are some things we can know about those things. And then there's things we can't. There are mysteries. There's lots of them. And you live with that. And you either get hung on them, or you get proud and try to solve it and get weird. Or you take the revelation that's there and move on. And it finally comes down to trust. I want one more thing quickly. There is a way that we can go deeper and deeper. Some people out of pride, and I think there are certain people that are simply insecure and they want to establish their worth by being the first person to discover some bizarre spiritual truth. There are people who are ambitious to, to be bizarre just for, you know, and find uh, secret mysteries. And they're, they're insecure, un, un, unhealthy people who are trying to find these things. But God does want to take us much deeper. But here's what deeper really looks like in the kingdom of God. By accepting God's word and acting on it, we learn to understand much more of it. 
God wants to take us deeper, not in bizarre fringe things, not just revealing to you what the seven thunders said. God wants to take us deeper in the mysteries of God, which are, are the basics, such as learning to love, learning to forgive, learning how to walk in faith, learning how to share the gospel, uh, learning how to, how to minister healing. The basic things, that's how he wants to take us deeper. Let me make a comparison of two Greek words quickly. And this is a very shallow comparison. There's a lot more to be said. But one of the words is for, for knowledge is gnosko. And it's basically knowing facts. It's a head knowledge of understanding the facts of the matter. Now, they put a prefix on it, and it's a preposition, a P, and it becomes epignosko. And that word takes on a whole different flavor. It's a knowledge based on experience. It's recognizing people, not just knowing who they are. It's, it's, it's having experienced the thing and the knowledge that comes from having lived it out, having been part of it. Now let me ask you this. We could all talk about faith. And probably everybody in the room could give some sort of definition of faith. But some of you have chosen to walk in faith. You've chosen to take a hold of God and step out in faith, and you would have a very different understanding of faith than the person who had not chosen to walk in faith. They would have a definition. They could give you gnosko, but they couldn't give you epignosko. They couldn't give you that kind of experiential knowledge. You who've walked in faith know the cost of it. You know how hard it was. You know the demonic assaults that came against you as you stepped out. You, know, you knew how it drove you to God in prayer and you had to lay hold of him with everything in you. And you also discovered as time went by that he showed up and he indeed, not only did he answer you, but he gave to you above and beyond what you could ask or think. So when you talk about faith, your eyes sparkle. When you talk about faith, you've got an energy in you and an understanding in you and words that you will use that another person who has not lived it out won't have. Now, this is how God wants to take us deep in the mysteries. He wants us going deep in his mysteries, but he wants us by, by, by walking them out. He wants us going deeper and deeper all of our lives. A person who does not go deeper is a person who's chosen not to obey. Let me show you a couple of texts quickly. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like who? A man who built his house on a on a rock. And when the wind and the storms came and beat against that house, it did not fall for it was founded on a rock. The rock was not just the words of Christ, but it was obedience to the words of Christ. That's what made that person's house strong. James chapter 1, you can turn there. Hebrews James, toward the end of the New Testament. James says this, verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, you, you read the word of God, you, you, you hear the word preached or whatever, and you know it's true, but refuse to act on it, refuse to obey it, he or she is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. If you, if you read the word of God, if he speaks to your heart in any way, and you choose not to obey it, it's quickly forgotten. Yes. However, if you choose to obey it, it becomes life to you. Epignosco. You begin to go deeper 
and deeper in the mysteries of God. Verse 25. <clears throat> one who, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the word of God, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. St. Anselm said something that will bless you, I know. It's in Latin, credo ut intelligam. Turn to your neighbor and say, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it actually is. Now you're going to know what it means. Credo ut intelligam. It means, I believe in order that I might understand. I believe so that I will understand. St. Anselm saying this, I am not going to take a proud posture and say, I must understand before I believe. St. Anselm said, I will believe because who said it? I believe the one who spoke it. And as I live it out, I will come to understand it. That's how a man or woman goes forward in the things of God. The proud man, the proud mind, the scornful, the one who invents theologies to satisfy their sense of propriety will become a heretic or become foolish. The man or woman who says, I'm going to follow the revelations, the clear revelations of God, the mysteries that have been shown to me, I will obey them. And as you do, you will indeed, you will indeed go deeper and deeper in the mysteries of God. There will be a knowledge that comes in you that is beyond you. There's a wisdom in you that's beyond you. And people begin to understand it and hear it and draw to you because of what God has shown you. You see life different than the rest of the world sees life. God wants us to hungrily search his word. But when we do, we'll discover truths that don't always make sense to us or are frustratingly incomplete. How we handle these truths will determine whether or not we keep growing. Over the course of our lives, God wants to teach us more and more about the truths he's revealed. But for that to happen, we must remain humble when facing mysteries he hasn't disclosed and obedient to the mysteries that he has. Would you stand with me? If you can, if you're not comfortable standing, please, that's not a command. It's an invitation. You know how you have passages of Scripture that just sort of work on you for a while? This one, the Holy Spirit drew me to the, uh, a while back, and it's just been kind of burning into me uh, for more and more. I memorized it many years ago when I was young. Psalm 1, listen to this part of it. He says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That means follow ungodly advice. But guides our lives by the principles of God's word, not the world. Nor stand in the path of sinners. Choose to be rebellious and disobedient. Nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. Become cynical and rude and disrespectful to God. Denying him. But his delight, this person who's going to be blessed, his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. The Word of God. 
And in his law, he meditates day and night. And I think of that as morning and evening. Men and women who love this word begin to reflect in it morning and evening. Jack Hayford made a statement years ago. He said, before you put your, let your head hit the pillow, put some word in it. And so I have a little Bible by my bed. And I mean, I just, I'm, I'm about to go. I just grab the thing and read anything. I, you know, put something in it. I just read some word before I go to sleep. That was a, a good principle for me. If in morning and evening we would just turn our mind to the word of God a bit. Just begin to let it work in us. Here's what will happen. He or she will be like a tree planted by streams of waters. You got roots that go down to the water. And even when it's dry in the season and hot summer winds are blowing, you still have water. You still have a source which yields its fruit in its season. You will bear your fruit. Its leaf does not wither. You'll not grow weary and worn out. You'll grow stronger as the years pass. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's a promise. Father God, we thank you this morning for the precious gift of your word. You have not left us on this planet without light. We are not in darkness, but we have been given the most precious light of Jesus Christ. We have seen God in the flesh and we have fallen in love with you. That you've also given us your precious word written. And Lord, I pray that you would grant each of us a hungry heart. That we would not give us ourselves excuses to not read and study and dig in the word of God. But we would mine it like a vein of gold and let it feed us and teach us. We also, Lord, as a people and as individuals would have humble hearts. That as we come up against things that are not told us, that we would be able to accept that peacefully and simply trust you. When we come up against things that bother us and don't seem right, that we would simply trust you and not have to act as a judge on that situation. Grant us the humility to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep serving. And then, Lord, we would be people who live out in obedience the mysteries you've given us. Take us deep, Lord. Take us deep. Un un peel that, that onion of, of, of truth that we would go deeper and deeper and deeper in the things of God. And they become sweet to us as we live them out. And we begin to embody them. Come, Holy Spirit into our lives in your mighty name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.